Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice, and today's guest is the well-known uh, American writer Mark Lehner. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very mm. much, Eurydice. It's it's a pleasure, pleasure, pleasure <laughs> to be. Pleasure is what it's all about. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know Mark's very unique uh, work and contribution to postmodern literature, uh, he's the author of, uh, I don't know, maybe a dozen books. <laughs> um, and they are all one of a kind. Um, so my cousin, my gastroenterologist, uh, was the uh, the first one that I think hit the mainstream. I remember smell Esther Williams. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the yeah that's the f- the first book I read. Um, a two babe. Um, so the last orgy of the divine hermit. Uh, I, <laughs> I think is the latest. The latest. Yes. Right. Okay. And 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 um, it's coming out in paperback soon. I mentioned that because of an interesting sort of turn of events with that. Um, it's coming out in paperback, but under a different title, because oh. the, my, my publisher thought, oh, maybe we should um, um, emphasize somehow in publishing the paperback, emphasize how central the relationship between you and your daughter is in the book. And uh, so I came up with a, and you know, it's a tricky thing when you're asked to come up, when it's suggested to you to come up with a new title for a book, because for me, titles are so, so important. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they hover over the, I, I think a title kind of hovers over the reader the entire time the reader's engaged in reading your book. There's that mm-hmm. title. It's like some sort of, giant ufo in the sky hovering over you the whole time Mm -hmm. so it's a you know i've always and it's also useful i don't know you're to see if you find this as a writer but um i love i i don't like saying to people oh i'm working on something or a new thing or i i like to say i like to have a name for things really Mm -hmm. early on and you know kind of in the process yeah i do too Um, i do too i mean it's like having a a little puppy or something and you don't have a name for it yeah yeah it's not as much much fun so Uh it was you know it took me aback a little bit when it was suggested i come up with a new title and i love the title last georgia of the divine Hermit, and in a way, the book is a, a almost a book-length explanation of what that title means. In a way, so I, but it was kind of interesting to have come have to come up with a new title because it was almost as if okay, it's a it's it's a new book in a sense. If it has a new title, it's different. It's a whole different thing. So, long, to end this long digression, the title of the paperback is daughter waiting for her drunk father to return from the men's room (laughs) that's the new that's the title i came up with the new title so i love i love that title too yeah well um yeah that's definitely a much more mark laner title yeah in the sense of um you know, y- your titles are so memorable that even if we haven't, someone hasn't read the book or, yeah. you know, life, you know, brain cells forgets the, the main story of the book, they will remember the title. I hope. <laughs> so, I yeah. hope you're right. So this, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, plus I must say, like, you know, uh, last orgy, like why? Why the fuck last? You know, I mean, <laughs> so good. So you know, like it. It now, now there is a promise of more orgies of the, you know, of the divine hermit. <laughs> well, also, you know, it always. I don't know. I mean, I don't really remember. I don't know the process. The, I don't know my own internal process of how I came up with that title, "Last Orgy of the Divine Hermit." But I did very. I mean, I am very interested in in hermits and divinity and orgies and. 
<laughs> and, and, and finality, all mm-hmm. of which is expressed in that title. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it did always um, kind of delight me, the idea of a hermit. I mean, what, what would be a hermit's orgy? Since a hermit is presumably lives in complete solitude. So the mm-hmm. combination of the two, I, I always... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. gave me yeah. g- gave me pleasure as a, yeah. a a reader of myself. So right anyway, yeah. Here but we you are. know, like your, I mean, like a, a lot of your work is an orgy of a, of a divine hermit, right? So it, it's like yes. you know the the Uroboros, like that's how you. <laughs> or no, I um, think that's a very that's a beautiful thing to say. I hope mm. so. I do. I do think all my books and maybe books altogether. Or oh, writing no, no, poetry. No, that's wishful you know, thinking. Yeah, Mark. it's wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. But certainly, you know, my, I think since I began this mm-hmm. as a 16-year-old or a 15, 16, 17-year-old, as I, you know, I've wanted, yeah, to be a sort of hermit's orgy maker of some sort. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I feel that that, um, you know, the... You probably, I I don't know, of course, but I'm just, uh, you know, speculating that you began that book with mortality, you know, more central and and than 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 the literary impulse or at least. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Of course. I think. um, Just to I mean, not to not to belabor my biography, but I I was writing books and doing my thing and um early on had a kind of funny i mean funny by by which i mean kind of unusual kind of public success for a while with when books first started coming out and then sort of Mm -hmm. settled into settled into my life as a writer and was doing that at some point i started doing some work in the sort of movie and TV business simply as a way to, mm-hmm. you know, make some money in order to be able to write, write my books. Cause I had never really wanted to be um, involved in academia. You know, I just never thought that was kind of consistent to me with what I, what I thought I I was as a, as a as an artist as a writer. It mm-hmm. just seemed it, it seemed incompatible to me. Mm-hmm. So I then because of that choice, I had to figure out different ways of sort of hustling, hustling, of you know, financial kind of hustling. Mm-hmm. And but at a certain point, I I I think it might have been like a ten year or a twelve year period. I didn't really write books because I got involved in this other thing, mm-hmm. a sort of, sort of, Holly, I, you know, shorthand for it would be sort of Hollywood kind of thing and figuring out, you know, different ways of making money like script doctoring and doing all, doing things like that. But I, at, at some point I came back to writing books and my, and I think the last three books have been very different and and you this is what you're alluding to with this latest one be different because of my age because i'm you know one is much older <laughs> with the passing of many years one is much older right so mm-hmm. you feel all kinds there are all kinds of new things to mm-hmm. consider mm-hmm. all kinds of new things you're feeling and considering and thinking about and mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. are you are forced to sort of um, reconfigure yourself, redefine mm-hmm. yourself. And um, I think that's very much in my latest books in the last mm-hmm. three. Yeah. A feeling of, yeah, feeling of mortality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, this brings me to the the topic of our conversation or how I've wanted to frame <laughs> our conversation, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, language of the body, basically. So when I, you know, when I think of your work uh, from the beginning, um, I, I have felt that you were very much interested in in the language of the body, um, 
that incorporates and makes fun of the medicalization mm. right of 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 what we are which is you know biodome <laughs> um, right. and i you know the your your inventiveness with language always felt to me uh, as kind of like a, a doomed maybe <laughs> but but brilliant you know attempt to uh, stop objectifying the body you know to 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 find ways for language to not alienate us from our own body right right and and in, and in order to do that you would start by showing how you know far away from our actual body the language of that body you know was <laughs> you know so like mm-hmm. I, when i i would re- read your book uh, books and uh, you know it was it, it was really hysterical but also you know shocking to 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 realize that you know all of these words were referring to like you know what I, I am right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you are, or one is. I mean, is, what? Yeah, right? what you know? <laughs> one is in, in a sort in, yeah. in in the most essential way, in in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there are two aspects of of what you're talking about that I can that I can address. Um, one is, I think, very early on when I was much younger, I. I really became aware of the ways in which language is used to subordinate people mm-hmm. and the way language is used to to um, maintain right. a kind right. of sovereign sovereign superiority over over people and yes. i I remember once and this was in college, and I think I was a freshman and I went to see some professor to talk about something because it was required to have a meeting. I don't even remember what class it was. It might have, you know, I don't know if it was an English class or what. But I felt as if this professor was deliberately using a kind of arcane, you know, esoteric language with me in in order to um, demonstrate the sort of the structural hierarchical structure of our relationship that he was up up there and I was down here and I remember leaving that meeting saying I don't want to ever feel that way again you know I, I I am going to do something about this. And I, you know, I started a whole process that I, that I still engage in of just learning words when I come upon them that are, mm-hmm. and you know, that I don't know, that are foreign. I want to put a parenthesis here that matters, uh, you know, historically, because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. we are in this exact, you know, political moment and we have been since uh, the Trump election right so yeah. for the past whatever <laughs> 5 years 6 years um there is precisely this sort of like churn in the culture where the superiority of right the, the hierarchy of what you know what the the populists have come mm. to call the elites uh, you know, right. is no longer uh, taken for granted and, you know, is no longer easily subordinated. And, you know, there is a shift back and forth, which side is on whose side, right? And we're, you know, we're trying to keep politicizing between these two very limited parties. Right, right. Something that's actually, I think, really widespread. And you are speaking to it right now as, as an intellectual, <laughs> But right. um, but that's also happening, like in the street. Um, so yeah, it makes I mean, your work it's a more very, relevant. It, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. very. Um, it's something I've always thought about. I was just reading um, something. I got interested, I, for some reason or another. I think related to this new book I'm doing, but I'm not certain. Uh, with this art, you know, the German artist Joseph Beuys, mm-hmm. who, who is a fascinating mm-hmm. figure, and, but who said a very simple thing, but 
it's something that's remained enormously irritating to people. He said that every everybody is an artist. And, and I mean, it's a very simple statement, but it causes enormous contention, you know, um, on sort of all sides of all issues. But it's something I, it's a statement I have kind of enormous sympathy for. Mm-hmm. But, and, but, and I do think that I have tried, and this sort of gets back to your original question, I have tried to draw into my work areas of our culture that were not normal that were not typically associated Mm -hmm. with with fiction or poetry right and these could be i mean some of this is the whole high low sort of thing the people i've been talking about for by now 50 60 years Mm -hmm. you know mixing low culture and high culture or mixing street culture and kind of hot you know, high culture. Um, and that, I mean, there's nothing particularly new about that anymore, but that constantly kind of needs to be stirred up in new ways. But the, the other thing was, and I think when I started writing and publishing books, this was something that was very conspicuous to people about my work is that I included a lot of scientific language that was, that was rarely, if ever in, included in yeah. in, yeah. in fiction yeah. Yeah. and and med- medical terminology and i mean one of the reasons was that it just looked so it was so bright and shiny looking in on a page it just seemed so wonderful to me you know so mm-hmm. kind of fantastic because it was a, a kind of great novelty just to, to see that but the other thing about it w- was uh, akin to that first story I told you about, mm-hmm. about the professor. Um, I think scientific and medical language is, has been over centuries maintained as a kind of secret code right. for a kind of privileged elite and mm-hmm. kept fr- and sort of kept from the rest of us so that Right. When you go, and this everyone can relate to this, if when you go to a doctor, I I think I hope this is becoming less true, but it was certainly the case when I was younger, and I'm 66 now. So when I was younger was a while ago. So again, things might have changed, but when when you first start going to the doctor as an adult and having conversations with that doctor you can't really understand what they're saying to you. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's in, right. in, in, encoded in, in, a, in a very in a specific vocabulary. And it's, it's like, it's, it's the effect of it is quite profound because you're there to talk about your body and yet it's being spoken about in a language that's, that's incomprehensible to you. And, right. and, and you wonder you're sitting there or standing there wondering how that could be how how could this conversation be going on about my very body in a language that is so that i'm so alienated from exactly that's the word that's the word yeah you know the alienation yeah it was important to me in a kind of socio-political way in addition to in addition to just an aesthetic way of when i said well it was a wonderful bright and shiny thing in addition to that it felt like it felt useful and may, maybe hopefully important to um, sort of reappropriate that language. Right. You know, t- well, take it. It seems to me, you know, know do, that, like or, uh-huh. or, or ne- neutralize it as a as a as a weapon of mm-hmm. of, of, mm-hmm. Alien, of alienation and subjugation. Right. If that's, if, you know. Right. No, yeah. or, or at least mock it. I mean, I think you. I don't know if well, you can yeah, neutralize it in the actual exam room, but you can mock it and you know give us a revenge. <laughs> right. Now the other thing, the other thing I wanted to address in your question, and this we could talk about for many. Many, many, many hours, if not days and weeks. Okay, this sounds fine with me. (laughs) Is when we talk about the body and my work, I've I've always thought 
I've hoped and tried, endeavored to make a kind of writing that a reader would respond to, would experience in a bodily way. Hmm. So it's not only a matter beyond, beyond the fact that I talk about bodily processes or talk about anatomy or use sometimes a vocabulary terminology that we associate with science or or medical um, arena. Um, even more central to me than that is this other idea that um, interacting with my work, reading it, enjoying it, grappling with it, will will feel like something. To will feel like something to a person's body in the sense and i i mean this is not so strange it may, it might be strange for people to hear to associate reading and and a bodily reaction to it but mm -hmm. you know if we think about the way we respond to music a lot mm -hmm. of that is is mm -hmm. through our bodies mm -hmm. you know and well, i I, want I understand to that uh, i mean again i personally understand that but i do also think that it's like a, a very ambitious goal um i you know I think that, um, but what, okay, two part, I, I want to say two things before we proceed yeah. down this really interesting, <laughs> uh, to, you know, topic, but ba regarding what we were saying before, I just want to uh, add that, you know, this medicalization of, of our body it mm. seems to me like a post-enlightenment continuation of the Catholic churches and other churches, repression of the body, uh, you know, in, in like spiritual terms. So as, you know, we enter the industrial age and, and you know, we migrate for work and that control weakens, right, then it, it gets replaced by the control of like the science and scientific right. elites that still co well, and continue another, the kind uh, of like... Um, you know, turning the body into an object. Mm -hmm. It's turning, not, it's turning, it's turning, exactly. But there's a corollary to that, which is so, so crucial. And again, this is so relatable to anyone who's going to listen to this. The, it has to do with the commodification of the body mm -hmm. and the commodification of modalities of treatment, as they mm -hmm. call them, and, mm -hmm. and the hyper-commodification of our entire culture it 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 feels most it is most grievously felt when we're sick because hmm. it's become very hard to figure out what what is a real what what is a genuine what is an authentic what is an authentic humane medical response to something you're presenting a doctor with and what is a form of marketing right. and marketing, marketing treatments and marketing services and marketing tests, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so that um, mm -hmm. getting back to this language, if you're told, Oh, you have something, something, some word that ends in osis, some kind of, <laughs> you know, Oh, I think I suspect that you have, blank osis let's we, i want you to get this imaging or this test or this thing which brings up a whole slew of other words for the imaging equipment and for the uh -huh. tests they're doing uh -huh. because i want to just eliminate the possibility that you have some then more language which uh -huh. is more uh -huh. more <laughs> more grotesque and ominous mm. you know and mm. and you know you're th mm. and you're just thinking this is becoming an immensely, first of all, it's frightening. And also, you. another frightening aspect of it is this is going to be immensely expensive because, mm -hmm. you know, these things that are being uh, discussed in all this arcane language uh, is, mm -hmm. speaking of grotesque, grotesquely expensive mm -hmm. in this country. So mm -hmm. there are layers mm -hmm. when you talked about the church and the objectification of the body, mm. that's that very effortlessly, seamlessly evolved into a complete commodification of the whole process of healing, mm -hmm. you know? And 
and beauty. And beauty. So uh-huh. we have the, the, the what is illness and, you know, what is disease and what is ease is one question that they've completely right. yeah, colonized. And then the next question, which is, again, you know, like what St. Augustine was struggling over, you know, like why do I have to need, right, the, this thing, the, the, like the fertile female thing, right, uh-huh. um, continues in the, in the medicalization of beauty. So... You know, you have people, I mean, I mean, I live in Miami. <laughs> I I would tell you that maybe 90% of the women I know and I'm, and I'm fond of from yeah. every socioeconomic group uh, have had some, some type of like cosmetic surgical intervention, right? So not only, you know, not only the med- extreme medicalization of, of discomfort, you know, and disease, but also of of beauty and desire and and right arrows you know it, uh, <laughs> and it's quite it's quite extraordinary mm-hmm. you know i think things that we fairly recently thought of as simply evidence of aging and nothing particularly alarming are now quote-unquote treatable and people will tell you why don't you you know why don't you go in and get that taken care of why don't you just go in and get that lasered away mm-hmm. or fre- you know? freshen Whether up they're in, like in miami they call blood. it freshen yeah. up <laughs> you yeah, know I, I went to the operating room to freshen up And the the interesting thing about it is that whereas this might have once just been a kind of vain hobby of very rich ladies on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, now it's everyone, 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 Everyone. including including very young people. I mean, obviously, it's it's marketed to in our culture to women. Mm-hmm. more more mm-hmm. but you know my daughter who's 20 is going to be 29 at the end of this month um but she and her friends i think i think they've all they all go in and get little things now and then mm-hmm. you know like like filler mm-hmm. Botox, oh, yeah. filler, oh, things yeah. like that oh yeah i mean everyone yeah. Yeah. and we're talking about these are babies these are younger you know, know they're not girls young Young women, yeah, and um, yeah, it's again. Yeah. You're you're yeah. you're so right to bring that up because again, it is these are interventions that are being. And I'm not saying there's not there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not criticizing people for indul- indulging in any of this, but it's certainly well. As I think we've been I think it's, about I it, think it's wrong, but I don't think it's wrong well, it's on behalf wrong, of the wrong, of the people. First of all, I don't getting, think it's wrong on, on behalf of the people who go and do it, but I do think no, that on a systemic yes, the level, of it is, right? Of course, because <laughs> first of all, it's um, and and it has brought us to this moment where no one knows anymore what's true, right? So like, well, no one knows, what's true, but, I, but Eurydice, there's a, there's another thing that's that's not, I think that's that's a, a, a really a deep deep problem with it, which is that. Instead of instead of experiencing the constant changes in one's life and one's body as a kind of something marvelous and a, and a, and having a kind of sense of wonder about it mm. and looking at yourself in the mirror and saying mm. and seeing this combination of the face you saw when you were five with mm. a whole life lived that you can see in your face mm. and seeing both, you know, and seeing the sort of multitude of selves that you've become through the, over the years, instead of that, which I think is a, is, is really a kind of wondrous thing. Instead of that, there's just this mania that again, that's been sold to us about l- trying to maintain the face you had when you were 17 mm-hmm. through the entirety of your life and it's just i just think that's a cr- shitty way of living oh yeah 
Oh yeah. And it's and it's futile. You you're not going to win. Right. You know, it is futile. But this. but the issue of like truth and trust. I mean, I experience mm. it. Um, you know, just as a as a human in in you know 2022 continuously you know we're like i don't know two days ago when pelosi was saying i have five children and my first reaction was did she give birth to those five children are they like surrogate children are they adopted children right or like i see someone who looks great and then i immediately have to like go back you know go in closer and investigate i don't know out of some mania for truth you know which elements are actually natural and which are not so my my like spontaneous (laughs) conversation with beauty in america has been destroyed forever i have to go to parts of the world where these things are not available so i can like you know purely you know, look at someone and feel my feelings, you know, like of attraction or admiration or, you right. know, and communicate but, you know, with those is, bodies. Because here... Well, this is, uh, I mean, this is a, I'm, I'm going to say something and maybe it's just, maybe it's just me, as people say. Maybe this is just a personal, a personal erotic preference of mine. But I think, and you can tell me how you feel about this. I mean, since sex is in the title of your oh, yeah. your show, your podcast, I think I think it's so much more erotic to encounter a person who has a, a look of, of truth, as we're talking about, who in whom one can see the struggles of, of a life, you know, mm-hmm. rather than this other thing. Rather than seeing this sort of completely homogenized, um, mm-hmm. idealized version of, um, you know, it's it's really mm-hmm. there's a kind of uh, there's a str- really perverse kind of almost pedophilia in it. Oh yeah, of trying sure, of, yeah. of trying to of re- yeah. keep trying to of of an ideal of beauty being youth and childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I just think it's I, there's something gruesome about yeah. it. I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, all of our, our you know, I think, I, again, you know, I, I've, I talk to people about their sexual preferences all the time. And what I th- believe is that it's so extremely individual <laughs> that yeah. all of our efforts are, are kind of like a waste of time. Because even if, you know, it, it, like someone may want to be with you because you look uh, uh attractive in a mainstream way and they want the approval of those around them so that's like the trophy right the trophy girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever but deep down what turns you on (laughs) is just so bizarre you know (laughs) and and we're all like that we're all uniquely we are twisted and bizarre in what arouses us i'm so glad you said that (laughs) because i've i've experienced things at various times in my life i mean i've had terrible experiences sometimes with people i don't i don't i i just mean in the course of life and not i'm not talking about romantic or sexual i'm talking about having i don't know in 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 business and some kind of interaction and then finding that in this deep sort of uh, in the sort of lab labyrinth dark labyrinth of one's desires that you find yourself fantasizing or, or desiring this sort of terrible person mm-hmm. you know that oh, you've yeah. had a terrible experience with. oh yeah and i'm talking about i mean you know again <laughs> oh, i'm yeah. talking about this could be like a salesperson at a store or or you know an a distant aunt in your family or so, it doesn't matter but how things sort of get worked, get sort of metabolized by the kind of inner labyrinth of your own desire is so fascinating because yeah. you, you end up then wondering, why did that just happen? Why did that person sort of flash in front of my face oh, yeah. in, in, the, in this way? Oh, so yeah. it's all, you know. And, you know, once again, I mean, to me, like that, that's one of the worst aspects of the patriarchy and it affects you know, all genders the same way, which is, you know, this, well, I, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm against marriage. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of, the, of one of the main reasons is this idea that just because I'm, you know, turned on and really aroused right now yeah. by someone and want to be with this someone, I'm also declaring that I have, you know, like a, a, an intention to continue feeling this way like, you know, decades from now, and if I don't, my desire is untrue or suspect. That's like gibberish. It, you know, yeah. like, biologically speaking, it's insanity. <laughs> so, you know, mixing up, like, erotic desire with parenthood, I think, is, is well, a, the, a, a disease. I mean, a disease. These really? things have nothing... <laughs> the, the best thing one can do If once, if, if if you want to get married, or if you've made a determination never to get married, both require disentangling all mm -hmm. the things you just talked about. Mm -hmm. You have to disentangle desire from raising children, from mm -hmm. children having mm -hmm. children. You have to dis, and you actually have to disentangle desire from a decision to have a long-term partner. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah. because, you know, there are other things that are involved that can make long-term relationships, marriages um, viable, which are a, a, a kind of really a deep solidarity with a person, et cetera, et cetera. There are all kinds of things that can, that, that can make that, I think, a sort of feasible arrangement. But, but if, if you begin to bring in sexual desire and stuff like that mm -hmm. you're out of your mind yeah i mean that's, i mean people yeah. who tell me or, or you I mean, I, or you go out of your mind i mean the thing is enough you, to you know the you know there are divorce people who will say <laughs> is enough to drive you nuts you'll meet people i'm sure you've met people or may have friends and they'll say oh you know i this is the most wonderful marriage i don't ever feel the need to look at anyone and i'm complete you know all that kind of stuff and we're the same way we were when as 40 50 years ago or all these things and you just look at them like they're well i mean they're either lying or they're out of their minds mm -hmm. yeah I think. yeah well i Because find it, it difficult you know i mean I, i i personally of course i support like people being partners and couples and yeah, you know yeah. If you can find someone to to handle life with, that's wonderful. <laughs> but right. but what happens is that the moment we enter this kind of like formal, uh, you know, legal marriage uh, vocabulary, then all of these assumptions that we have from our childhood, from you know the the culture, the media, and everything you know that that has gone down like the epigenetic route for the past you know handful of generations they like you know they kind of like you know pop up <laughs> unexpectedly <Yeah. laughs> when you're at like you're most vulnerable <laughs> right and and you find yourself like betraying your 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 you know deepest like beliefs basically and acting out like uh like someone you don't want to be and it's because you've put yourself in that setup right yes no it's, that it's exactly right it's and you're exactly right in the the what you originally the sort of premise of your statement just now yes there can be wonderful partnerships i have a very wonderful marriage and um it involves all, all sorts all sorts of ways of feeling close and, and and feeling as i said because i to me this is kind of the, the fundamental part of it a kind of really deep deep solidarity with this person um but if you confuse things and have the wrong kind of expectations which are imposed by you know culture on us you know then you can be very you'll be miserable and driven crazy and driven to do you know, um, unfortunate things yeah. <laughs> to yourself, to another person. Yeah. You know. yeah. But um, the, the, this, some of the things we're talking about, which involve determining the different kinds of truths of situations and whatnot. I think I'm bringing this back to 
conversation about our about literature and making literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried. I think one of the things I've tried to do in my work is be be transparent. Try to be open, like sort of honest and transparent in what the work is and how it can be enjoyed and how it's been made, you know, and um, so that I think when you look at my work again, I was talking before about to me personally, how satisfying and exciting it is to see the life of a person sort of written on the body of a person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rather than sort of mm-hmm. erased by, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. cosmetic surgery, you know, cosmetic mm-hmm. interventions. I, I, so I, I hope that in my work, not it's, it, it can be apparent. It can be legible to someone reading it. The, the process of making it can be legible to a person reading it mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. There, there's that there's that aspect too in, in what I do yeah you know? it is yeah it is I think and that's why you know there is that joy uh, I mean I experience it as like jouissance you know where I'm like laughing out loud you know which is a particular laugh that comes when you enjoy you know like watching something happen that's uh it's like pretty unique yeah well right? that, yeah, I mean getting back to uh, getting <laughs> yeah. back to oh but I want to run this by you so enjoying something uh-huh. uh physically laughter mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. very physical yeah um, so that's response. what I want to yes ask uh-huh. me tell me I don't yeah. want you to forget so when we talk ask. about the body you know you and I okay I'm, I'm backtracking for a second you and I met mm-hmm. a long time ago because we had the same uh mentors uh well Ron Sukinik yeah. and Steve Katz, right. Um, right. and uh, in fact, Ron, both of whom are mm-hmm. both of whom are departed. Yes, are gone. Yeah, yes. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I actually I did see Ron, uh, you know, physically devolve with that muscular inclusion. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he visited me in Miami with a cane, and I, I did. Yeah, it's. Um, and Steve, yeah, and Elkin with MS, you know, in the wheelchair. Yeah. But anyway, th- those are all <laughs> uh, moments where, like, great mi- minds, you know, and the bodies they're trapped in, uh, st- you know, shock the consciousness, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, so when we, you know, when, when Ron gave my graduate thesis basically to that contest uh, without me knowing and Fred Tatten chose it because uh, he hadn't liked any of the um, any of the, one, the submissions and so my thesis was published and then the Virago book came out. Um, I felt progressively from then on until I pretty much uh, stopped publishing fiction mm-hmm. um this this kind of like you know a painful conundrum and i have felt it even with the podcast right so it's something that has stayed with me uh, my the length of my creative life and and i have done a lot of writing that i have not published <laughs> i have not shown to publishers and the reason is this um I, you know, I would like it to be published. I just haven't decided whether that should be while I'm alive. (laughs) But, um, and the reason is what is my version of what you mentioned, which is, you know, how do you get um, the writing to to be experienced by the reader in a bodily way, right? To be a physical experience. So in my case, uh, that was something that consciously or unconsciously I really want, you know, did um I, I i can tell you uh on a confessional you know aside that the first time that i you know orgasmed masturbated and orgasmed was reading i i was reading a copy of um shakespeare's anthony and cleopatra in my grandfather's <laughs> house <laughs> on of which, say um say again which shakespeare what? anthony and oh. cleopatra in greek you know, in oh, oh, oh. <laughs> of yeah, course, yeah. yeah, I was like, I don't know, a child, t- 10. Um, and then after that, you know, I kept looking for like Shakespearean books, uh, you know, I would take them to the bathtub and lock myself yeah. in the bathroom, right? So 
Um, and for most of my life, uh, you know, like sec when a book really moved me, it moved me sexually. I, you know, I masturbated to 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 literature, right? Um, so rather than I don't know, uh, thinking or porn or fantasy, right? Um, so perhaps unconsciously. Um, I mean, we're, we're mm -hmm. you're talking about language uh, versus images. I mean, versus photographs or right, painting. exactly, yeah, yeah. right. Yes, it was yeah, not visual, yeah. so I would get right, like visual, hooked into certain, yeah. uh, I guess you know, sentences, and I would like go yeah. over them again and again until I, um, um, I would climax. So. Um, my work from that, you know, that, that first book for me was very much uh, a, a kind of like examination of this Judo-Christian like split between the mind and the, and the sexual body, right? And right. I had felt it very strongly when I became a teenager, when everything changed, you know. I was an anonymous, you know, child, uh, who, terrified of like being lost because no one would want me unless I could be returned to my parents, right? And my only like value was like intellectual. If I was smart enough for my dad to include me in his life and endeavors. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly the body changed seemingly to me overnight with none, none of my doing. I was trying to hide it, you know, for years, like the, the breasts and the butts. And, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and like hordes of, of boys would follow me and uh, embarrass me and, and um you know, men, and it was just like an onslaught of attention. At some point, I realized that, you know, there were many more takers for me, and I could take advantage of this to kind of like run away from home, which I did at 15, um, and, and, and came to America. But this, this sense of like, who, you know, how do I unite my identity with my body and its urges, which, mm -hmm. you know, was something that I hadn't figured out. I wrote that book um, and, you know, in which like the, the vagina has a life of its own. Um, and then from then on, everything I wrote, I thought was a philosophical inquiry. <laughs> I was trying to ask actual like, you know, questions that were the, the were huge in, in my life, you know, for, for how do I move forward in this culture? Um, yeah. and, and I understood that it was received in a physical way because uh, people read it as a, in, in a sexual way. Um, but the sexualization of the material also, of course, cheapened it, right? Lowered it. Because that's, and that takes us back to the hierarchy we began mm -hmm. with, which is the body is subordinate and lowly, right? So I, I kept, you know, I felt... That yes, you know, I, my my words and my language was having a physical effect, but it was also being limited so much because it was seen as sexual when really it was just a conversation about the body, <laughs> and I couldn't, you know, I felt that I couldn't get out of that. Um, well, you know, you present a mm -hmm. really you present a great conundrum. I think that I've been that I've always grappled with that may, that may be at the sort of the heart of what I do. But it's interesting that you you stopped you stopped writing fiction. You said, "Yeah, well, I didn't stop." Again, I have I have oh stop publishing. Ton. Yeah, I I yeah. did yeah. I did I just you know. Uh, I felt that particularly the marketplace, you know, uh, put me in this uh, category, right? And I yeah. was, I, I felt very, um, and again, it's not about being diminished <laughs> at all as a mind. I just mm -hmm. felt that the work could not proceed. You know, when I, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was, I, I became a sex writer. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and that's how, you know, like my agent wanted to monetize the work. And I understand yeah. that uh, the drive, but, you know, one, as you said earlier about hustling, one can find otherwise, other ways to make money. 
uh, you know, this is America, and that's like one of the perks, right? If you can you can find other ways to make money without having to to sell your your sacred work, you know. Well, I was just going to use that. That's so interesting. I was just going to use that word. I mean, there are very few things that feel um, sacred or holy or you know to to a person. Very few. And it seems much better to go and find some other strange or even even debased way of making money. I mean, it's it, that's better than that's better than 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 sort of desecrating what is sacred to you. Yeah, it's better. exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this. You know, this type of work, really, the way that I experience it, is not meant anyway for money. Uh, it, you know, right. I, I, it's, uh, you know, I might, I could be in a monastery, as you say, with a divine hermit, you know, very happily, yeah. like, right, on Patmos, <laughs> like St. <Saint> John, <laughs> in a cave, <laughs> and I would yeah. be fine. So, you know, I, I separate, I, I very happily, like, separated it from earning a living as it as as you know my people always did you know it was only in america for the for this brief span of like half a century where we've assumed that like you know we can make money from our creativity and look where it's got us right but like making money to me is just separating people who have money from some of their hoard it's just easy you know like there there are people who have way too much money and you just get some of it, and that's it. <laughs> it's to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. yeah, and that's uh, literally capitalism. You know, the, the the whole myth of like productivity is is just you know no longer real in America. You know, like ninety percent of financial activity here is basically like uh, you know speculative, which is. Right. You know who? Gives, yes, nothing, yeah. nothing, yeah, of, this, uh, nothing this, of value. Nothing right. Of value right. Produced. Yeah. Yeah. If we lived in I don't mean, an actual I mean, economy, you know, I mean value mm -hmm. in the way you're talking about it. Something that would be of some value to another human being. I'm not talking about in, uh, art or intellectual work. I'm talking about e even the creation of a just a useful utilitarian object. I mean, mm -hmm. as you said, ninety-five or whatever percentage it is of of what happens out there now is is a speculation yeah leveraging <laughs> you know sort of leveraging yeah. money to make money yeah assets and assets and yeah the accumulation of assets yeah. to generate yeah. to generate money. yeah but and, and and you know what and faith-based <laughs> And yeah. da damn it, if we can't, you know, I mean, people like us, we, you know, we can make up faith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, speaking about sort of um, analogies with sex, I mean, that it's very, it's, it's so much an interaction and so much an interaction that I'm trying to choreograph in a certain way to maximize a kind of pleasure or delight or wonderment on the part of someone reading something mm. you know yeah. um and and making something that will create a kind of ecstatic response mm. i mean in, in the literal sort of greek sense of that word of being wrapped out of yourself mm -hmm. you know of, of a kind of dissolution of ego and a kind of you know connection with a, key, a connection beyond yourself you know to go to feel sort of in ecstatically thrown out of yourself i think is what art is supposed to do so you know it, it involves other people but the pursuit of it as you were talking about your own life and your own practice of this is is can become a very, it can feel like a very solitary, private, religious endeavor that, that has to be perpetuated. My devotion to thinking, my, thinking of myself a certain way and being loyal to that notion of myself 
mm-hmm. till the sort of end, till the end of my life is very is is very important to me. Yeah. Why? I why, I mean, is that is that ridiculous or justified or uh, who knows? I don't know, but it's I I feel it. And when I talk to someone like you, who's who's devoted a life to mm-hmm. the same sort of thing, I feel a great sense of kindredness with you, mm-hmm. you know, about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there is posterity, so that's one <laughs> one good thing. <laughs> posterity. Yeah, I. But I'm. Is a great like I agree, cleaner. I, but it's not <laughs> only about what I'm saying is it's not only a, it's not only about the posterity of the work. Although that's that's important and very it, and it's very important to me and it's important to me lately because as we said at the very beginning of our conversation, the two of us think about ourselves in a very different way mm-hmm. now that mm-hmm. we're older, now mm-hmm. that we're at the stage of our life. But also, I don't know the fact that at this point I've accumulated, like when you were talking about the number of books I've written, whatever it is. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but the fact that I've done this and I've been sort of stubborn about it, mm-hmm. and there's something about just that that I've that, that I've been stubborn that that I've made such a sustained effort to do this mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. I there I I would like that to exist in a kind of posterity too. Just the mm-hmm. the effort, the endeavor, and you know the sort of devotion to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People exactly used to say that. this ridiculous thing. They would say, I remember when I first started doing this, people would say, your work feels to me, and this was supposed to be this kind of withering criticism. Your work seems to be like a, a form of masturbation to me. Like the self-indulgent form of masturbation, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. I would think, well, You you know I would say you make that sound like a bad thing. <laughs> that seems like that sounds good to me. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. they call now, yeah. A I, deep I, dive, right, I, right. I think an artist is a freedom fighter and a shaman. I mean, it, there is it's you know me too. There is a definitely like an alchemical. Effort I mean, I, in what you're I, I doing. Agree. You're trying to take is. something was, and transform it. When I was it. thinking about that this morning, I was thinking, is that? And you know, another. I'll tell you a nice thing about being older is you can be more. You can ent- entertain more ridiculous thoughts <laughs> before because you don't. As you said, you stop caring mm-hmm. if someone thinks it's ridiculous or not. Right. So you know, I was right. thinking of those things. I was thinking of those two things. Freedom fighter and a shaman, and um, yes, is that ridiculous? Is that ridiculously pretentious? No, you know, I don't care. I don't think so. I, you know, I, I think it's accurate. Uh huh. Me too. I think it's. Accurate. I mean, for me and for you, I mean, I've known you. I mean, not on a personal level over the years, but I, I, I'm aware of what you've done and sort of you've stayed in my consciousness since we met, and so I can include you in this. I think. Thank you. I think it's what you've you've aspired to and uh-huh. accomplished in in your life as as an as an artist and also. Thank you. Yeah, it it sure. That's <laughs> definitely the intention. <laughs> right. That's our intention. Yeah, that's, that's our, our intention. intention. And we well, have uh, you know we have sacrificed a lot for our cause. So I think that you know that kind of like speaks to the. Truthfulness, right, of our devotion. We've sat. Yes, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I've I've tried to do this in such a ridiculous way. It could have been so much easier, but I, you know, I took. Yeah, and it's full of full of enormous anxiety and financial anxieties oh, yeah. and and anxieties about what your status may be at any given moment, because that will enable you to. Maybe do this and not that, or you know all of the different all of the different things but but yes, that's been our intention mm-hmm. and um as you said, in the most beautiful way, it's a deep dive, yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, here we thank are. thank you, yeah, thank you for 
for for coming on the podcast and thank you for this conversation. The best part, the, <laughs> the best part of the podcast was you. <laughs> no, seriously, listening to you. <laughs> I can't imagine a person listening to the the past hour not saying, "Well, Eurydice was great." I don't know about that other guy. But she, she... <laughs> well, that's a very Mark Lanier thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was a it was yeah. a great pleasure. Yeah, thank you, and uh, everyone out there, uh, thank you for listening. And until next week, keep speaking sex. If I could make love incessantly, I would be gone.